This film is lit. The podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. One of the greatest horror films ever made from one of the greatest horror authors of all time. It's The Shining, and this film is lit. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. Sorry we're a little late on this one, but you're getting it on Halloween, the spookiest day of the year. And you're getting it with brand new microphones that should sound even better than anything we've had before. These are the nicest microphones we've ever used. So <laughs> uh, this episode should sound great, um, at least audio quality wise. We'll see content wise. Before we get started, we wanted to give a brief uh, mention to a situation one of our patrons brought up, Winchester's Never Die. From their message, quote, the East Troublesome Fire, one of the three massive fires burning in my home state of Colorado, is currently threatening the town of Estes Park, where the Stanley Hotel, the inspiration for The Shining, is located. The town has been under a mandatory evacuation order for the last two days, along with a number of other nearby towns up in the mountains, and many people have already lost their homes. I live less than an hour from Estes, Estes Park and visit it often. In a non-COVID year, I would have been planning to go up there for the horror film festival they host at the Stanley every Halloween. If you would like to help, you can visit coloradoresponds.org slash wildfires. .html. I don't know if the HTML is necessary. Probably just slash wildfires. For links on ways to donate or volunteer. And this is them again. Reading The Shining ha has actually been a bit of a balm to my soul as these fires rage in the mountains just out of my sight. Stephen King really captures the Colorado setting in a way I have seen few authors do well. So yeah, if you want to donate or help, uh, go to check out coloradoresponds.org slash wildfires. All right, it's The Shining. We almost recorded this episode three days ago. We have <laughs> all of our segments, mm -hmm. including our very first segment, Let Me Sum Up. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. So Jack Torrance, his wife Wendy, and son Danny, who, side note, is psychic and has an imaginary friend named Tony, travel to the Overlook Hotel, a remote resort in the mountains of Colorado where Jack is tasked with taking care of the hotel during the off-season. The family sets in to spend several months in complete isolation in the hotel. Jack also hopes the seclusion will help him further his efforts at becoming a real writer after years of teaching to make ends meet. After a month alone on the grounds, Jack begins to lose grip with reality as he slowly descends into madness and falls back into abusive behavior patterns, culminating in Jack completely breaking and attempting to murder both Wendy and Danny. Are his actions a result of vindictive spirits or his own inner demons? We may never know. But ultimately, Jack fails and Wendy and Danny are able to escape the Overlook Hotel, leaving, Jack's to freeze, leaving Jack to freeze to death in the snow. Oh, spoilers, by the way. <laughs> Which the, that segment always has spoilers. So, uh, and you said the book is that's broad, broad, broad strokes. Broad strokes. The book is the same ish. Yes. Okay. 
Broad strokes. Broad strokes. Broad strokes. Let's get on to our next segment. Two weeks in a row, right? Mm-hmm. Goodness. We've got Guess Who. Who are you? No one of consequence. I must know. Get used to disappointment. Okay. We've got a couple here. I think these will be fairly easy. He stood 5'5", five five, and when he moved, it was with all the prissy speed that seems to be the exclusive domain of all small, plump men. The part in his hair was exact, and his dark suit was sober but comforting. Well, I, nobody in particular that that strikes me as. My guess would be that it's Jack. <sighs> Now, Jack Nicholson in the movie is not neither particularly short nor plump, uh, and he doesn't really have a part. I guess this could be like the hotel um, manager, like the owner of the hotel, potentially, but he's not short or plump in the movie either. Um, uh, Dark suit. They're all wearing suits in the beginning, uh, including Jack, who's like a greenish, I think, like a almost like a from my memory, almost like a like a kind of it's a, a very seventies brownish like scene. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, and we talked a lot at length about their neckties in that scene and about what was going what? on there. <laughs> I really, I want to know what their neckties are made of in that yes. scene because they look like they're made of that like cheap waffle. Yeah, material that, like the, really cheap. Like, yeah, like really cheap. Hand like towels. hand towels are made of. It does. I I don't know what those are, but they're very they're wild. They don't make ties like that anymore. No. Uh, so I, I'm gonna go out on a limb and guess that this is Jack. It actually is the hotel manager. Ah, okay. That's Ullman. Uh, that's right. I couldn't remember his name. Yeah, uh, he's, he's only in like the first. He's scene. only in the first yeah. little bit of the yeah. movie. He's in more of the book. Okay. Kind of. <laughs> Heads turned when she came into the lobby, her golden hair spilling across the shoulders of the simple navy dress. The hem of the dress stopped a modest two inches above the knees, but you didn't have to see more to know that they were good legs. <laughs> She's got good games. <laughs> All right, Stephen King. <laughs> um, well, now, uh, there's very few female characters in the movie. Uh, honestly, there's like one, arguably two, if you count the ghost, witch, ghost lady, dead lady in the, in the bathtub. Uh, and I doubt this is her, uh, but I mean, I guess it could be her if maybe she shows up in the beginning somehow in the book as like an actual person, but then it's like, comes back as like a ghost or, or something. Uh, I'm going to say that this is Wendy, even though it doesn't physic like it doesn't fit Wendy particularly from the movie. It is Wendy. Okay. Yeah, she does not have blonde hair. Mm -mm. And I don't think she ever wears a dress in the movie, from my memory. The first scene, scene she might. Uh, I yeah, now. I feel like before they get to the hotel, she had on like an overall dress kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, once they're in the hotel, she's like exclusively in like pants and sweaters and yeah. jackets and that kind of thing. And overalls. Mm -hmm. Like most of the end of the movie, she's in like overalls, I think. Anyways... All right. Uh, and then uh, the third one. He was a tall black man with a modest afro that was beginning to powder white. He had a soft southern accent and he laughed a lot, disclosing, disclosing teeth too white and too even to be anything but 1950 vintage Sears and Roebuck dentures. Um, well, I'm going to say that this is probably Halloran. Halloran. Yeah. 
I don't know. I don't remember exactly how they say. It. They don't say his name a bunch in the movie, Mm-mm. only a couple times. But Halloran, yeah, him. And you said yes. Yes, that makes sense. Uh, he's the only black character. Yes. Alrighty then. Uh, that's gonna do it for our guess who segment. Two out of three. Not too bad. Let's get into it. It's time for Was That in the Book? Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? Okay, first question. Danny, uh, in the movie, he has uh, a very terrifying imaginary friend named Tony, who he talks. We talked about in the prequel episode that the the act of moving his finger as like sort of a puppet when he talks, when mm-hmm. Tony is talking, is something that apparently the actor of Danny or his parents or whoever that wasn't something in the script. That was something he he came to the the audition with. Um, but the character of Tony is that I assume based on the fact that he came to the audition with that idea makes me think that it's probably in the book. But does he have a little imaginary friend named Tony who's creepy and weird? Um, yes. <laughs> uh, Tony's never described as a little boy who lives in my mouth. Oh, that is in something the book. he does say in the movie. Yeah. Uh, that caught me very off guard when we were watching the movie. I, I feel like the movie took generally a different spin with tony in the book tony is an entity of some sort who visits danny and shows him things uh we never see danny talk as tony like we do in the movie um danny describes tony as being older than him 11 or maybe even 16 which i loved because i felt like that really hits the nail on the head of how like little kids yeah. perceive people older than them Anybody 11 older than, or maybe even 16 40, I don't know <laughs> who knows uh that's also how I perceive people in that age range it's <laughs> like they could be 11 or 16 I have no idea <laughs> between 8 and 15 I no idea <laughs> um but Tony in the book it's one of those things where we start out and we're not really sure about Tony like Maybe he is bad news. Maybe he's some kind of like malevolent entity. Um, But it turns out that he is not malevolent. And later on in the book, it's very strongly implied that Tony is actually a future version of Danny. Interesting. Because I was wondering, trying to parse out in the movie, um, and it's the first time I've watched the movie in quite a while, if it's basically if Tony was essentially like the name he gave to the thing that made him psychic like how he because he has visions Mm -hmm. you know of things that will happen or whatever and it but it does seem like that because he has like when he has those visions he like goes like catatonic in the movie Mm -hmm. or tends to and it's like kind of has flashes of visions is what is implied in the movie so that does seem like a separate thing from the whole tony thing yeah kind of seems like a separate this is probably elaborated a lot so uh, uh, preface all of this again with we have not neither of us have seen or read dr sleep Mm-mm. um and so that's a lot of the stuff with danny at least is probably explored at much greater length because it's all about him from my yeah, knowledge i mean i would imagine that it's explored much more in <laughs> yeah dr. so there's sleep, probably I answers to some of those questions in terms of like more about tony and whether or not mm-hmm. you know all that kind of thing so uh just prefacing it if you're like well duh dr sleep we find out yeah you know, we have not seen or read this is only on a reading of the shining and a viewing of the shining so interesting okay so uh, this is something that's brought up very early in the movie uh, with the doctor after Danny um, has a fit or we don't see exactly what happens, but it's assumed he has like a seizure or something in the bathroom um, uh, when he has a vision. And then the doctor comes to kind of 
check him out. And uh, Wendy is talking to the doctor and talking about how Jack has a history of uh, drinking uh, and that he hurt Danny a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but then she, you know, she goes and explains that it wasn't on purpose and, and, you know, and he's much better now and kind of the classic, like, um, excusing of a, <laughs> a battered wife type of thing. Um, and so we're in the movie, it kind of seems to be clearly setting up uh, the, an abusive relationship and an abusive relationship between both him and Wendy and him and uh, Danny, at least to some extent. Yeah. Um, uh, and so we, we know that Jack is kind of already already battling demons long before he gets to the hotel. And uh, it was funny because as we were watching it during the interview scene, you had said like when Jack Nicholson is talking and they're doing the interview, you're like, he already seems crazy. <laughs> like he already seems off the deep end. It's not just Jack Nicholson. This yeah. is how he looks most of the time. Um, also, yeah. I, he's got them crazy eyes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I we we use crazy sort of don't mean it necessarily pejoratively for um, it's just for lack of a better word. That's the word we're going to use. But. Um, but it was definitely my read that the point that the movie was setting up at this instance was that Jack is, and we'll talk about where it goes later in the movie and whether or not it sort of follows through on this. But at this point to me, it was clearly setting up that the, the sort of turn that Jack makes Mm -hmm. in the second half of the movie is something that was coming because of sort of the, the the inner issues he was already dealing with that mm-hmm. we already have these these sort of hints at him being abusive at uh, the way Wendy covers up for him and like you know like excuses his behavior and that sort of thing mm-hmm. very clearly setting up the idea that it isn't some like ghosts at a hotel that are causing these issues but it is in fact Jack himself that is the issue um, and we'll talk about that and what like I said what happens later in the movie and whether or not that adds up but <laughs> we'll get there. Um, but uh, is that that history with Danny and Wendy something that's from the book? Yes. In the book, Jack is similarly an alcoholic who has been abstaining for a while. Uh, in the movie, Wendy says that Jack dislocated Danny's shoulder. In the book, he breaks Danny's arm. That's interesting, Tains, because dislocating mm-hmm. the shoulder and the way she describes it as him, like, yeah, like trying to pull him up off the ground. or I can't remember exactly what, mm-hmm. but he's like pulls his arm, basically. And it, it it's something that could read much more accidental, potentially. Mm-hmm. Now, the way she describes it very clearly comes because of the way she does a very good job in the scene. Uh, uh, Shelly Duvall does of coming across as <laughs> a, a, uh, a, a, a wife in an abusive relationship who is kind of used to playing this song and dance in front of other people to cover for the husband. Um, So you get a read on it that maybe it's not as uh, innocent as she's making it sound, but a dislocated shoulder is something that could be more of an innocent mistake in a moment of, uh, you know, of losing control versus breaking an arm is a lot seeming to me is like a much more intensive that would require more of a it would more, more force. Yeah. 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 You would think. Yeah. Cause you can accidentally dislocate your shoulder if you like bang into a door wrong. It's rare that you're going to snap your arm. You know what I mean? So, and, uh, yeah, it's an interesting change. So we're jumping ahead a little bit here, but we get flashes of it, I think, even before they get to the hotel, or, right, like, right when they get to the hotel, Danny starts getting these visions of the two girls in the blue dresses, which are the iconic visual from the one of the, you know, there's yeah. a bunch of iconic visuals in this movie because it's a visually stunning film. Um, but the two girls in the dresses... 
and specifically, I want to know if they're from the book, and specifically the line, come play with us, come play with us, Danny, forever and ever and ever. Because, again, iconic line that mm-hmm. people, you know, gets quote ad infinitum. Is it from the book? No. Wow. It is mentioned that Grady had two daughters that mm-hmm. he murdered in the book, but we never see them. That specific line is, I would say, like partially from the book. Okay. There is a scene where Danny encounters an entity of some sort on the playground that's on the grounds of the Overlook. Yeah. Uh, that he thinks might once have been a child. Oh, okay, but it's not, it's kind of more formless or something. Like he it's, doesn't. Well, it, it, a lot of what the book does is like the book really plays with like, did you actually see that? Yeah. Um, so he thinks he sees like, there's like a, a concrete like tunnel ring thing mm-hmm. on this playground and he, he feels like there's something in there with him when he's inside the tunnel and then he goes out and he thinks he sees like a small hand maybe. Um, but you know, we're not really sure. Right. Um, and then the book is not clear. Like if he actually hears this line being said, or if it's something that he hears in his mind or if he's something, it's something that he supposes this thing might say. But anyway, the line is, Save me, oh please save me. If you can't save me, at least come play with me forever and forever and forever. So yes, very clearly. Yeah, very yeah, very clearly the inspiration the for that. It's also a really creepy book scene, something that I would probably put in better in the book. Not necessarily that it's like like if we're holding them up one to one, yeah. but it's definitely like a really creepy scene. It sounds very creepy, um, the way you described it. Uh, the, I think the movie, similarly, that's one of the creepier scenes in yeah. the movie. I, it's, there's a reason it's become an iconic scene that gets quoted and you know and 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 made jokes of and stuff all the time, and has become part of uh, sort of the cultural milieu. But it's yeah, it's a very good scene. But I could see. Um, they're creepy in different ways. When you're seeing mm-hmm. the girls, they, that's the, its own. I mean, it spawned a whole genre of creepy little girl like horror <laughs> movies. So I would imagine this is up there with the first. Uh, I think The Exorcist was a little before this, but mm-hmm. it's also different in The Exorcist from my memory um, versus like sort of the the less like clearly ambivalent, more just like what's their deal? They're weird and creepy mm-hmm. versus like a possessed child. Um, so I think these might be the first just like off-putting, creepy little girls in the movie. Probably not the first. Probably not the first. Probably not, but maybe the most iconic. Yeah. Up until like The Grudge or something. Well, the fact that there's two of them yes. is yes. pretty. And they the talk in unison. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so then we're introduced to the hedge maze in the movie. We're kind of getting a tour of the grounds. Um, and there we, we, they, we see the hedge maze, um, which becomes a pivotal part at the end of the film. Uh, is the hedge maze at the Overlook Hotel from the book? No, no hedge maze in the book. No hedge maze. No hedge maze. Oh, okay. Interesting. Well, we'll talk about it, uh, I guess, later about what how the book ends. <laughs> then, <laughs> what, and we know going in that there are lots of changes. Yes. This is famously one of the, you know, it deviates quite a bit um, from from the book, so... Uh, is Danny psychic? It sounds like we kinda, we've kind of discussed it so far, but is Danny psychic? Uh, also, is Halloran psychic? And do they talk about this Halloran realize and do they kind of like chat it out about them being psychic? Because that's in the scene we kinda, in the movie we get kind of like a 
an expositiony like Halloran mm-hmm. kind of explains, okay, you're psychic. I could tell you're psychic. Oh, you've been psychic for a long time. Me too. You know, like Yeah, it's pretty similar in the book. Uh Halloran realizes that Danny has the, the shine. Shining. Yeah. Um the shine, yeah. and kind of orchestrates like a, an opportunity to to speak with him alone without his parents there yeah. about that. So we do get a lot of the exposition about Danny's powers from Halloran. Gotcha. Uh, this is a thing in the movie that I find incredibly cool, um, uh, and I want to know if it's from the book, is that uh, Danny rides his big wheel around through the hallways of the of the hotel, mm-hmm. and this is, uh, we, we follow him around with a steady cam. This is also one of the first sort of innovative uses of the steady cam that shots where the camera's following him like that because normally you would have to do that uh those kind of shots on a, a traditional like dolly system which requires like tr- tracks on the floor yeah um which they use for other parts of this movie but for those hallway shots they used a steady camera an early version of it um which allows you to be completely mobile with the camera as opposed to being on you know train tracks essentially um and this, I love the sound design of the particular uh, of him doing that because he, as he's riding through the hallways, he rolls over rugs and stuff. And so you get this monotonous, like the mm-hmm. wheel sound on the floor. And then every now and then it just stops whenever he rolls over a rug. And it's like this inconsistent consistency to the sound coming in and out. But it's not it. something about it is very like grating and off putting and mm-hmm. it, like it raises your let you're like, I don't I don't know. It's just, it's just weird. <laughs> And I really love that that about it. And then you also get the fun whenever he goes around a turn or you, uh, a corner, you get the moment where the camera spins around and we get a reveal of whatever's in the hallway and you keep expecting something and they're not and then they're, you know, it's great. Is it in the book? No, he doesn't ride a big wheel in the book. I, I did like that addition to the movie. Yeah. I did think it made Danny seem like younger than he was in the book because oh, okay. he's like five in the book. I don't know if he's... Why would they make him seem younger? I rode a big wheel till I was like 10. Like, like, really? Yeah. What? Why would you not? Until I was too big to ride one. Probably, probably maybe not 10, but like eight, nine. I was riding a big wheel. I don't know. It just looked very small to me. I didn't have one when I was growing up, so I don't know. Well, I mean, I rode it until I started riding a bike, but I don't remember how, you know what I mean? I don't remember. Mm-hmm. I was probably 10 or so when I started running a bike. I'm guessing I don't remember at all those. Uh, it's the same thing where I can't tell what age kids are. I don't remember <laughs> what age I learned to do stuff like that. But I rode a big wheel. I had a big, like a, a metal, like a good, like similar to his, um, I think. Like a really nice big wheel. Like there was the cheap plastic ones. I had like mm-hmm. one of the good ones that was metal that I think I got from my brother. Because mm-hmm. well, they started making them out of plastic eventually. But yeah. back in like the 70s and 80s, they made them out of metal. And my brother had one, and so I got his. Um, so it was like a, a really good one. Um, but uh, yeah, I rode it for I rode it until I couldn't fit on it any mother anymore, or until I started riding a bike. I don't. But I was at least five. I mean, to me, it just like it looked very small, and I felt like it made him look very young, which maybe is what the movie is going for. Yeah. In the book, he's like I said, he's five, but he's also like. A creepy two adult kid who knows too much which yeah. he is in the movie to some extent he yeah. does have that he he has a sort of knowing look and he kind of mm-hmm. you know he talks probably more maturely or like at, at a reading level that is maybe slightly above what you would expect mm-hmm. um somebody his age yeah i love that in the uh, in the movie so that's, that's a good addition 
Uh, room 237. I said this uh, wrong. Well, you mentioned it, and this is the question. Um, uh, is room 237, the creepy room in the movie where all the ghosts are, from the, um, as I said that, something terrifying. I think that uh, one of the, I put the microphones in that thing. I think they should Something shifted. in our closet just moved. <laughs> in the closet. Um, it's the old microphones, actually. Terrible closet to hide in. It's open all the time. Yeah. No, I, I like I said, I just said the old dead microphone. It's the spirits of our dead microphones <laughs> oh, no. in the closet. Um, uh, but yeah, is it room 237 from the book? Uh, in every way but the name, it's room 217. Oh, but the, the same, that is there's yeah. a room where everything goes yes. down. We talked about this during the movie that we speculated why they would make that change. Um, and I'm sure there's so there's that documentary I talked about called Room 237 that is like all these conspiracy theories about the movie and the moon landing and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there's some conspiracy theory idea for why the number has changed. But we speculated it probably just has to do with like that being an ideal room for yeah. where they filmed it or location wise. It's possible. I've never been to the Stanley Somebody, we have a couple listeners who have, so maybe somebody can tell us. And um, we have one listener in particular who used to work there. Yeah. Um, maybe there's not a room 217. Well, they didn't film at the Stanley. I it's thought they based did. on the Stan Stanley. No, they Wait, filmed where did at they a different. I think they filmed at a different hotel. I I meant to look this up. I don't think they filmed at the Stanley. That's where Stephen King drew inspiration right. from. But I don't think they actually filmed there. Uh. The Shining. Oh, no. It was OK. So the Stanley was uh, served as the inspiration for the Overlook Hotel in Stephen King's novel and as the filming location in the 1997 TV miniseries. Oh, okay. So they did film there for the 97 one that Stephen King wrote and produced. Mm -hmm. um, Timberline Lodge in Oregon served as the exterior of for the movie. I'm not seeing... On a very quick glance, I'm not seeing where... Where the interior... Where the interior was filmed. Yeah, because... I'm going to look through Wikipedia here really quick, but... I would think that they wouldn't, like, build that whole thing on a soundstage, right? I would think yeah. they would just film on location somewhere. Uh, the lobby and lounge of the Overlook Hotel was modeled on the Awani Hotel and was created at Elstree Studios. Okay. So the lobby and lounge was in a studio... Uh, bah, 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 bah. Kubrick had sets constructed on sound stages at EMI Elstree Studios in uh, Hart Hartsfordshire, England. Some of the interior designs of the Overlook Hotel were based on those of the Awani Hotel in Yosemite. He used several stages at EMI Elstree Studio in order to make all sets available during the completion so he could shoot in chronological order. Uh, at the time, the set for the Overlook Hotel was the largest ever built at Elstree. So... So they did build they it. They did build, build the whole so set. So then I have like. no idea why they would change that. And just the exterior. Yeah, because I assumed, uh, we both right, assumed we that assumed it was like a different that, hotel. I assumed uh, yeah, it was a different hotel. That, that it would be like maybe there wasn't a room 217 or maybe room 237 just had like the best bathroom set up because you need that like long right. shot down the bathroom. But if they built it, yeah, I don't know why they would change that. That's Here we a go. weird I Googled. random change. In the film, it was changed to 237. The Timberline's management asked Kubrick... Kub okay, so Timberline, the hotel mm -hmm. that they filmed for the exteriors, mm -hmm. asked Kubrick to not use 217 as they feared guests would no longer want to stay there. And they changed it to 237 because there is no 237 at the Timberline Hotel. 
So it's like the opposite like the of opposite. what we thought. Okay. <laughs> 217 did exist at the Timberline, even though they didn't film Jesus. interiors there. But 237 doesn't exist, and they were worried people wouldn't want to stay there. So they're like, change it. And so they changed it to a non-existent room so that it wouldn't ruin the Timberline Hotel's booking for room God. 217. That's hilarious. I feel like they were looking at that the wrong way. I feel like yeah. that would make people want to stay there. You would lose some people, but you right. would gain other you would, people. You would like, gain more people, I feel, I feel, like, feel yeah. like. I feel like, yeah, for sure. All right. That was a whole rabbit hole. That was interesting. I was able, I'm glad I was able to do that quickly on the fly. <laughs> <laughs> Saves me from having to cut this in later. So the bartender scene in the movie, Jack uh, ends up in the the, the big ballroom mm-hmm. and there's a uh, a bartender there all of a sudden. Uh, then there's obviously not a bartender there, but there is. Or is there. Or is there. Um, well, I, when I say there's obviously, there's not a human bartender right. there. <laughs> Whether or not there's a ghost one or not is up for debate. Um, uh, and I thought this scene was really interesting because... Um, Jack then goes on to sort of he gets a drink and he's sort of ranting and raving to this bartender uh, in sort of a traditional like, you know, holding court with the with the bartender type thing. But part of it is he's justifying his behavior um, in the past. He goes through this whole big, long exposition of like, I've never heard. Him. I would never hurt him. I, well, the one time I did hurt, you know, like he goes mm-hmm. through this whole evolution of like, oh, I'd never touch him. I, uh, I'm. I'm a good dad. He goes, well, there was one time, but yeah, it was an accident. And like he goes through this evolution. He goes, oh, if I did hurt him, I would never do it. You know, kind of like this sort of justifying everything to himself. And you can see him sort of devolving. And it's a really interesting scene uh, and really well done. Um, but is the bartender, is that scene from the book or, or similar scene? There are a few bartender scenes uh, pretty similar. They tend to focus more on Jack's alcoholism in the book. Uh, but... He is pretty much constantly internally trying to come to terms with having hurt Danny. You know, in in the book, it is clear that Jack has some abusive tendencies and patterns. It's also clear that he, like, tries really hard not to. Yeah. Um, And near the end, when he's, like, truly unraveling is when he starts to, like, really hardcore justify it to himself. Like, yeah, I hurt him, but he deserved it. Yeah. I think I think the movie maybe tried to go for the same kind of feel. And yeah. I, I think a lot of people do find Jack more sympathetic than I did on this viewing in the movie. Um, I think part of that is it suffers a little bit from the condensed time frame. It's, yeah, it's a relatively long movie still. It's like almost two and a half hours. But even still, they have you have to skip a lot and, and right. sort of get to the, the you know, the action at the end. Yeah. Um, and you can't be in a character's head yes. in a movie the way you can in a book. You get to do it a little more in this movie than others, at least with Jack, because he does spend a fair amount of time talking to, you know, yeah. himself or ghosts or whatever, because he is kind of losing it. Um, but I do get the idea that he's supposed to be sympathetic and that it is that he didn't he's not just an abusive asshole like that's not he's not just that mm-hmm. it's very clearly not something he's like fine with or whatever. Um, but I think he comes across at least to me in the movie upon this viewing he came across less sympathetic and more clearly as just like sort of the, the villain of the movie kind of mm-hmm. than uh, than I originally remembered. And and I think part of that is he does is so very quickly in the movie jump into like sort of justifying and excusing his actions versus feeling yeah, it's, bad it's for them. It's a much quicker jump than yeah. what you get in the book. Yeah, and I think that again, I think that is mostly just due to sort of the yeah, nature it's a of movies, truncated and, timeline. Yeah. And... Okay, so moving on. This is very little detail, but it's 
it's an interesting one in the movie. Uh, as, as things start to go bad at the hotel, as things start to go bad at the hotel, we cut to Halloran hanging out in his uh his his his. his I guess he lives in Florida or something yeah. like that. During the off season, he has a home in Florida, and he's in his bedroom. And the camera pulls back from the TV that he's watching, uh, revealing some very specific wall art. And then both walls uh, over his bed and over the TV have very large um, uh, pictures. I think they're pictures of of nude women. Yes. Is that from the book? No. Is that described in the book? <laughs> no. Okay. I thought that was If he has those pictures, they're not specifically mentioned. mentioned. So that was a choice of the writing team and Kubrick to, I don't know. It's interesting. I Yeah. This is interesting. I guess it's just to give him more some some interesting characterization because he's not he doesn't have a lot of time, and so it, I don't know what the characterization is, but it does add. It adds something. It adds something. You're like, oh, okay. Didn't see that. I didn't see this. You know, sort of like seemingly like kind of kindly old man, like yeah. you know, chef guy <laughs> who just seems like kind of a. It's like nope, naked women on his walls. <laughs> All right, right on, man. Good for you. More naked women. This is obviously another classic, iconic scene. Um, uh, Jack goes to investigate room two, uh, 37 in the mm-hmm. movie, where uh, originally Wendy had thought Jack had um, harmed Danny and that he had, like, because he had, like, bruises on his neck yeah. we see in the movie. Um, and arguably it is Jack, but now J- Danny has told her, no, somebody, there's a, a woman in room 217 or 237 and she tried to choke me. And Wendy's freaking out until it has Jack go investigate. Jack goes investigates and finds uh, a beautiful naked woman taking a bath. Who then exits the bath and they make out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's revealed she's not a beautiful woman. She's a decaying old lady corpse mm-hmm. person. <laughs> uh, is that a whole scene? Because it's, again, another iconic. Uh, this is another moment that is recreated in the uh, another movie that we've done. Um, uh Ready Player One when they that whole shining sequence was added for the movie like none of that was in the book Uh, and this is one of the moments I think the bathtub scene it gets like a nod or something it's not in the movie Mm -hmm. obviously because it's like a PG-13 movie but it's from the book there is a dead woman in in the relevantly numbered room gotcha but we only ever see her as decaying we don't see her as like a beautiful dead woman and then she changes Interesting. You know, one interesting thing that that the movie and the book have in common, but like they do it, they accomplish it differently, mm-hmm. is that both of them are like really weirdly horny on Maine. Yeah. Just they're horny, but they're real weird about it. Yeah. I mean, it's just this one scene, right? I'm not misremembering. Is there another scene in the movie? I mean, there's also Halloran's wall art. Oh, right. Yes. Sorry. The Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, and, and that's Stanley Kubrick tends to deal with. Uh, he's got a he's got weird sexuality things issues going on, which it doesn't really go into a ton in this movie, um, but uh, in some of the other movies like Clockwork Orange and stuff, it gets mm-hmm. much more um, interesting, for lack of a better word. Uh, and yeah, I think there's. I'm sure this scene has been dissected and discussed. I'm not even sure I have a necessarily good, especially with it not being from the book a good read on what it is. Um, I could argue that maybe that, cause I've always got a slight vibe, a mixture 
it's com- I think Kubrick's complicated in this regard. I've always got a slightly misogynistic vibe from some of his movies in different ways. And I think in this one sort of the slightly. Well, I say slightly. <laughs> well, but I think it's mixed. I think it's uh, I, and we'll talk about it later. I actually think that Wendy is not nearly as misogynistic as a character as maybe some people have said. I don't think she's not. But I also don't think it's it's interesting. Well, sorry, I have notes about it later. I want to talk about it. Uh, at least on this viewing of it, I found her much more interesting and less sort of problematic than I originally did, um, or at least from my memory. Um, but I, I think there's definitely something to be said there of uh, his, of potentially like this weird dichotomy and the um, sort of the deception mm-hmm. type of thing. And like, you know, there's like an implied deceit there of this yeah. beautiful woman who turns out to be not what he expected and is actually, you know, this horrible thing. Like, there's something there, potentially. Um, so you could read it that way, but I'm sure there are other readings on it as well. It's all a metaphor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, to some extent. Uh, so, uh, next question, speaking of problematic, the racism. Um, there's a big, long scene with the ghost... Um, of the of Grady mm-hmm. in the movie where he goes into the bathroom and Grady is there and and Grady star, all of a sudden starts dropping um, racial slurs and mm-hmm. and talking about how the the, the cook is going to come back but he doesn't call him the cook he calls him another word um, and at this point again it gets complicated by the end of this movie which I will talk about but at this point in my head this is all um, Jack's projection like this is all right. Jack to some extent. Um, and so we start seeing Jack's sort of racist, uh, innate racist beliefs sort of bubbling to the surface. Um, and again, this is another thing that I think makes Cooper complicated is that I think here it's, it, this is a critique of sort of mm-hmm. racism to some extent. And that, uh, obviously it's very sort of on the, it's not like implicit bias. It's like the guys out here just calling people the N word. So it's like, it's not subtle. Um, and it's not a hard version of racism to like examine. It's like, yeah, well, we don't do that. <laughs> like even <laughs> relatively bigoted people will still be like, no, don't do that. So I am not saying giving them a whole bunch of points here, but um, is that element something that's from the book or is that a, only present in the movie? That sort of examination of this like racism that kind of. That is up? definitely an element in the book. Okay. And a lot of the lines are the same verbatim. Gotcha. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, there is a similar kind of, I'll call it ambiguity to it, of like how much of this is already within Jack and how much of it is like the effect that the hotel right. has on him. Yeah. Uh, I, will, I will say this. Um, I, I think you can read that as a kind of critique you know bad characters behaving that way um in the book there's also scenes where Halloran interacts with other black characters and they also say the n-word like like in what context though like, uh, like, like, like conversationally to each other? Yes, like okay, conversationally. Well, that... well, now, hang on. <laughs> I just think 
and this is I know I know this is not my place to say no, and I'm not no. I'm not saying like this is definitely the way it is. No. To me, it's different to put a word like that in the mouth of a character who is clearly evil and like right. being a, a, a bad character than than between like a white author putting it into the mouth of a black character that they wrote. I, I don't disagree. I, I would just not do it. But I also think yeah. that it's potentially if you're if you're trying to write like convincingly within a if you're writing a, a conversation between black characters in a context where because within uh, black culture, it is not unfound, not uncommon uh, to use the N word, you know, conversationally right. and and, um, and, and uh, without any negative context. And so, yeah, I just wouldn't write that because I wouldn't, I don't know, I don't, it's not an experience I have that I would even feel comfortable writing about. Yeah. But I'm saying if you were, I don't think it's necessary, it feels different to me than, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to call like a judgment call on it either way. Right. Just like, you know, if you haven't read the book and maybe you'd like to read the book, just like keep that in mind if that's yeah. something that's going to like really oh, bother you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it kind of blindsided me. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Uh, so this is a specific line. Uh, that it's another kind of iconic line from the movie that uh, Grady, when they're in the bathroom discussing, and Jack is talking to him and is like, "You were the caretaker." And at this point, Grady is like a butler or something. He's like, yeah. he's like a server. Um, and and he says, "You were the caretaker." And Grady says to him, "No, you were the caretaker. You've always been the caretaker." Yes, that line is in the book. Nice, Danny yelling red rum, because that line. He yells Red Rum a lot in the movie yes. in a very creepy way. He's like, Red Rum! Red Rum! <laughs> it's kind of like a very high-pitched, like... I hated Red it. Red Rum! Red I, Rum! I hated the whole... I hated it. That's <laughs> oh, weird. It sounded like he was trying to do, like, a really bad golem. It's interesting. Oh, well, that's late. Yeah, especially later. He's like, Red Rum! Yeah. Like that scene where he says it over and over and over and over again, where he's, like, getting the knife and stuff. Yeah. He's, like, doing, like, a weird, like, Red Rum! Red Rum! It, uh, I, it's all right. Uh, first that one, and then following up uh, after that scene, he then uh, Wendy confronts him, and she's like, "Danny," and he goes, "Danny's not here, Mrs. Torrance," or whatever, because it's Tony mm -hmm. now, or whatever. Yeah, are those lines from the book? Red rum is from the book. Danny doesn't ever yell it. Okay. Uh, the line "Danny's not here now, Mrs. Torrance" is not from the book. Uh, Tony doesn't possess Danny. Mm, okay. That really doesn't make sense given the book's version of Tony. Yeah. Uh, there is one. There is one part where Danny is like particularly traumatized and he says Danny wants to go to sleep in what's described as a husky old man's voice. Okay. So there could be some. Maybe we pulled some inspiration, some inspiration there, from there. Like a kind of a vaguely um possessed type of moment yeah not not necessarily possessed but could could have maybe read that way and yeah so they pulled that idea okay uh and one of the most iconic lines um and it's it's one of the uh the most iconic visual moments is jack's been writing this book this whole time and he's been typing 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 away on his typewriter uh for for months weeks if if not it's, been, it's like around one month in the movie that this all starts to go down. It's like mm -hmm. they've been there for a month 
roughly, um, when this all starts to go down. So for weeks he's been writing. And uh, Wendy comes across his typewriter and all his pages of his manuscript, and she starts reading them and realizes that all they say is, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. And it's just page after page. We talked about in the prequel episode, apparently uh, Kubrick's assistant spent weeks typing up all Mm -hmm. those pages. And it made a little more sense in the movie. We joked about, like, why wouldn't you just Xerox it or whatever? In the movie, it is formatted yeah, they're all, they're all formatted, formatted different, different, which is, makes it, I think, creepier, <laughs> yeah. actually, as, a, as opposed to just all the same, you know, yeah. full, like, uh, if it was just every letter, like, every possible space filled in with the words. But it's formatted, and there's, like, especially because parts of it are formatted like a script, where it's, like, it's, like, where it's offset, and it has, like, mm-hmm. like, where it's, like, um what would be, like, lines of dialogue in a movie script or something. There's all, there's a bunch of different things like that, and then it just, and there's, like, misspellings here and there. It's, I think... There's at least some element of needing to do 10 or 20 of them so mm-hmm. that it because we had all those different versions of it. Uh, after that, I don't know if you need to keep doing more because she doesn't go through 100 <laughs> of them. She goes through like 10 or 15 of them. Um, but is that from the book? No, it's not. That's a great, it's a great moment. Uh, nothing even similar. Mm-hmm. In Interesting. Okay. I knew like a handful of things to be on the lookout for. And you knew that and one. And I was on the lookout. Didn't happen. There you go. Uh, another direct line I want to know is this is after Jack has snapped now. Wendy has the bat and she's defending herself. Um, and Jack has this uh, this line, Wendy, darling, light of my life, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains in. Is that line from the book? Not that specific line. Uh, Jack does say, I'll bash your brains in several times while trying to kill Wendy with a mallet. A mallet? A mallet. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, does Wendy clock him with a baseball bat? Because after that whole scene, she's going up the stairs, and then he comes, he lunges at her, and she hits him once in the hand, and then smacks him right in the head with a baseball bat, and he falls down the stairs. Does that happen in the book? Or with a whatever, something? No, she doesn't have a bat uh, in the book. There is a scene where Jack is trying to choke her. He's, like, behind her, and he's, like, kind of, like, got her in a chokehold, trying to choke her. And she gropes around and gets her hand on like a big heavy decorative wine bottle mm. and brings it up over and smashes him on the head knocks him out there you go uh so then she's running away from jack she grabs danny they run into the bathroom uh lock the door uh and now jack is chopping through the bedroom door which is also locked with an axe take it in um, and as this happens, there's a little tiny window in the bathroom, uh, and she gets Danny out and he slides down a snowdrift. And now she's trying to get out, but she can't. Is this, is this, um, hiding in the bathroom and trying to escape out the window? Does this transpire in the book? There is a similar scene where Wendy's trapped in their bathroom, but Danny's not with her and she doesn't try to get out the window. Okay. Uh, and speaking of this scene, maybe the most singular iconic moment in the entire movie <laughs> Uh, well, the two most iconic moments uh, is Jack chopping down with a fire axe the bathroom door as as Wendy uh, screams and hides in the corner. Um, does that happen? Similar. Okay. But Jack doesn't have an axe in the book. He has a roke mallet. A roke mallet? Which is like a croquet mallet. Oh. Except that one side is surfaced with rubber and the other side is either solid wood or metal. But he is like banging down the door. Yes. Okay. And then does he break the door open and in the singular most iconic moment say, here's Johnny. No, he doesn't. 
I actually knew that that wasn't in the movie because I had read that I believe that was Jack Nicholson uh-huh. who did that. Or like that was his ad. He because it, it's a Johnny Carter. Like it was his idea, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew it wasn't. I knew it was a movie thing, and, I, and I'm pretty sure it was Jack Nicholson particularly that came up with that. Uh, so this is a weird moment in the movie, and this is where things get complicated, and I uh, will talk about it. Maybe this is the moment to talk about it. So does Wendy see a person in a pig costume with another dude in a bedroom? That's my first question, and then we'll go from there. So first of all, it's a dog costume. Is it do- it kind of looks like a pig, but it sure. It does kind of look like a, a pig dog. in the or- dog costume. Yes, there is an entity wearing a dog costume in the book. And yes, it is a sex thing with the it's the infamous previous hotel owner. Is that mentioned really in the movie? No. Yeah. Uh does Wendy see this? Um I don't think so. Okay, so here's where things took a turn for me in the movie. Uh-huh. And I didn't remember this. It had been a long time since I seen the movie. And I feel like so up until this point, all we've had is Danny being creepy mm-hmm. and 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 that uh, sort of whatever's going on with him and him seeing things. But we know he's psychic slash whatever. Um, and then uh, and then Jack has been interacting with these ghosts and stuff and that sort of thing or what he thinks are ghosts. Um and so we talked about earlier how the movie set up this this very early on with the the doctor scene, this idea that Jack is, um, Wendy explains that Jack was an alcoholic and he was, was hurt Danny that one time, and we're sort of setting up this idea that he's has these inner demons and that this is where this is all going, and that the whole big turn at the end is actually maybe something more to do with him than it does to do with the hotel potentially is the read that I was getting, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden. Wendy's running around the hotel and starts seeing ghosts. Mm-hmm. Numerous situations. There's this dog costume that she sees with the the sex thing, uh, and then we also get um, the which is a very creepy scene. I'll give it credit for that. Like the way the camera pulls around the door frame and she sees it in there and everything. Um, but then we also she runs down to the like the lounge or something, and it's all of a sudden full of skeletons. Yeah, which is a little you thought this it was a little, is pretty hokey. A little hokey. I don't disagree in that moment. Um, but all of a sudden, she's seeing all these things. And to me, this felt like it potentially, at least what I was getting from the movie, sort of thematically um, messied up what was going on. So before, with only Jack and Danny, to some extent, experiencing mm-hmm. these things, it felt like maybe this... It, it felt like it was much more of a... Um, these are all projections of Jack. This is Jack sort of, these are projections of his psyche mm-hmm. that he's seeing. And that is, um, and that, that, that this break and this turn into the sort of psychotic deep end dive that he takes where he snaps and becomes a killer is more to do with him than it is to do with the hotel. And then when Wendy starts seeing these things, it starts to feel like potentially that's not the case, that maybe that is the hotel that is doing this to him to some extent. Mm -hmm. To me, it felt like it muddied the thematic waters by having her start to see these ghosts. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Mm. 
And I'm talking about just in the movie here. Just in the, the movie. The book I know can be very is probably different. The book but. is very different. The movie I feel like tried to have it both ways. I agree. And it felt a little half-assed in the end. I I think it still works. I think it you can I think you can do both and I think the movie kind of does that where it is something that was in him the whole time but that the the sort of the the situation at this hotel exacerbates it and and turns yes. it into in Well, a, that's basically what the book does, but the book has the benefit of one being a long form format yeah. and two being in Jack's head. Right. Um, and so, uh, yeah. And so I think the movie does work in that regard. I don't want to say that it doesn't work entirely. Um, I think it does work even if this there are ghosts, even if this is a haunted hotel, and even if this things he's been running into aren't just sort of his own inner psyche, which the movie already suggested before that when Danny's seeing ghosts and stuff like that. I, I get that. Um, but to me, it feels slightly different when Wendy, who's not psychic or not, you know, whatever, like she's just uh, also a normal person, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word, as far as we know, is all of a sudden seeing these these ghosts and stuff. To me, it feels like, okay, so there's there, it, it to me it takes away a little bit from the sort of uh, message we were getting at with Jack and this all being his own, his own demons, his own demons, yeah. Well, all of a sudden there are these external demons. And again, I understand that Danny saw the kid girls and stuff earlier. To me, it feels different for some reason. Uh, Well, I think it's because it is something that just suddenly happens in the 11th hour of the film. And she's just like running around and like sees all of this different stuff that we haven't been previously introduced to. It feels like a Hail Mary of like, like Kubrick forgot that he had to make it supernatural and was like, quick skeletons. Yeah, it does feel a little bit. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't necessarily disagree. Um, but like I said, I think it still works in, it, I think it still works in the sort of having your kicking in it to regard of, I think it can still be his own inner demons and that this situation pushed him over the edge the, mm-hmm. the, the, dealing with these, you know, sort of ghosts or whatever. Um, because I do think it is, uh, sort of reflects in a different way. And this is one of the things I want to talk about with Wendy. I think it as sort of one note as her character kind of is, I think it, re- as, as the hotel reveals, the the shitty person that Jack kind of is, um, I think it reveals a different version of Wendy mm-hmm. that she was not aware of as as somebody who's able to sort of even though she does it while screaming and sobbing the whole time to actually defend herself and defend her child and and she's still doing it even yeah, if you're screaming and yeah, sobbing. Yeah, that's what I mean, and that's why I actually think ultimately, while the. I get what Stephen King is saying, and I think if I had read the book, maybe I would even understand more his his saying that like Wendy's portrayal in the movie and the way she's written is like the most super misogynistic and stuff. I don't necessarily disagree, but I, I or I might not necessarily disagree. But on watching it this time, I actually found her character far less problematic than I think maybe some readings of it could be. Um, I, I have more notes on it later. I don't, so I'm not, and I'll, I'll read them when I get to it. So I'm not just vamping on it <laughs> now because I actually wrote some stuff down about it. Um, so we'll get to it. We'll touch back on it more a little bit later. But I actually found, I thought that her sort of um, finding 
a, a sort of next level of strength and stuff that she didn't really that we never hadn't seen in her, even if she is doing it while screaming and flailing and stuff. It's its own interesting idea. We'll we'll get to it. Maybe that's a, a maybe a, a reading of it that not even Kubrick was intending. I think is very likely, <laughs> but we'll get there. Well, a couple more things for was that in the book. Uh, they get into the maze. Um, and they're running through the maze. Danny is running through the maze away from Jack as Jack chases him with the axe. Uh, and Danny has this brilliant moment where he realizes to, to go backwards over his tracks and then go a different direction and, and stamp out or like, you know, brush out his tracks so that uh, Jack can't follow him. And this is how he escapes and gets away. Does he have that sort of similar brainwave? Well, we, there's no there's no maze, but it could still be a, they could be running through the woods or something. Is no, anything similar happen? No. Okay. That, that whole climax isn't it's nothing similar to it in the book. Okay. Uh, we'll talk about the climax, I'm sure, later. Mm-hmm. Uh, two more things. Last one. The other, maybe, along with the little girls, the here's Johnny, and then there's this. These are like the three things. Uh, the elevator full of blood or rusty water if you're trying to get past the MPAA <laughs> for trailers. <laughs> uh, no, there's no elevator full of blood. Well, there you go. Uh, that is... No tidal waves of blood. An interesting... It happens several times in the movie. We see yeah. it several... We get we get moments of it several times. And they clearly flooded a hallway full of a bunch of red water And because there's yeah. moments later where we see it where there's like furniture like... Yeah. moving around because of the water and it's like they holy built cow. that set and destroyed it yeah yes yeah so no elevator full of blood and finally after everything happens jack freezes to death uh wendy and uh danny escape uh and then we cut inside of the hotel as music plays and we zoom in on this picture on the wall and it's a celebration from 1924 or so i don't i think that's mm-hmm. the year um and it zooms in camera keeps zooming into the picture and then at the very front of the picture fourth of july 1924 we see jack is there he's always been there uh is that moment no that's not in the book book. okay is there any implication of anything like that of him having always been there or maybe he's a ghost or i don't even uh no okay i don't know how much of well that works in the movie other than just being like ooh. i don't like i don't like what's I got, so i'll talk about it later but i'll tease this right now i got a read on that that apparently was not the common read on it. Oh, okay. So interesting. Stick around. (laughs) Let's go ahead and talk about what was lost in adaptation. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. Was lost. Yes. Yes. And I want to get unlost as soon as possible. So this is something I, I, I found myself asking in the, in the movie and I wanted to know if it was in the book. Uh, when he goes to interview for this job at the hotel, uh, to 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 take care of the hotel uh, over this uh, winter, uh, the hotel manager says our people in Denver recommended Jack very highly. Mm-hmm. Um, so why did Jack get this job? Why did he get recommended? Is it supposed to be mysteriously vague? We never find out why he took this job, why he heard of this job, why anybody re- we don't know anything. It's just bleh. and 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 it could be simply as like you know ooh the goat like it's you know the machinations <laughs> of the universe sort of brought it to you know it could be i'm fine with that Uh i just want to know if we get any more explanation in the book all right so the reason in the book the reason that jack gets the job okay let's back up so jack used to teach at a boys school and he was fired because he lost his temper and beat a student half to death oh boy prior to that he had a drinking buddy uh alsh lockley 
who was on the school board, I think, was like what his thing was. And Al was also part owner, like stockholder maybe? I don't know. Like part owner of the hotel, of the Overlook. And basically gave Jack this winter caretaker job because he felt bad for him. And they used to be friends. And now Jack, like, is unemployed and, like, can't get a job because he beat a student half to death. That doesn't not jive with the movie. Yeah, That all could be true. Like, that could be true in the universe of the movie. I don't think there's anything that, like, negates any of that. We mm-hmm. just don't talk about any of it. So it still could work. And if you're a book reader, you could get that, like... You yeah. know, we're highly recommended from our people in Denver. The people in Denver could be out shot. Like, it could yeah, be it hit, could you know be what I mean? him. It could be. And so, like, uh, none of that necessarily goes against anything in the movie. So that is more uh, more context mm-hmm. that is interesting and definitely adds a little bit to, again, I like the changing of the broken arm to the dislocated shoulder with Danny. Removing the, 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 uh, the fact that he beat a student half to death does also sort of cast make him a more of a sympathetic character throughout the course of the movie. Yeah. Whereas if we had all of that information going in, it would maybe be a little less so. And I even, again, like I said, still found him less sympathetic in this one than I did when I watched it the first time years ago. Uh, We've talked about this a lot, but does in the book, uh, we kind of discussed this. Does it feel more like Jack's uh, own mental break was forecasted by his previous actions? And this is him battling his inner demons or more like a haunted hotel is messing with him and turning him Uh, Or a little bit of both. It's both. It's definitely both. The book is an exploration of trauma above everything else. Uh, Jack definitely has a lot of demons. It's... He has a terrible problem with his temper. Um, he has been a raging alcoholic, um, among other things that I'll get to a little bit later. And that definitely gives the hotel a lot to work with. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if the hotel had to give him a very big push. Fair enough. And finally, uh, I feel like it's implied that Halloran knows Jack is losing it. because So... so there's a scene in the movie where Halloran has uh, Halloran and Danny at the same time have like a, a vision uh-huh. and they're both like spasming and, you know, like eyes wide having a vision. And it Danny, I think, is seeing that Jack's going to try to kill them. And it, it's implied to me that Halloran's seeing the same thing and thus knows Jack is dangerous. But yet he's still. And, and he knows something's bad because he, he likes calling the police or the fired people or whatever. And he's trying to, like, get people to go up there and check yeah. on him. And he ultimately goes up there himself. But then when he gets up there, he just walks into the hotel in the movie and is like, anybody here? Like, he doesn't yeah. he doesn't go attempt to have anything way to protect himself from a guy who we seems like we he knows is going is like snapping i thought it was very strange that he just like moseys in and then gets murdered and it's like well what did you what did you see and what did you think was gonna happen like what what uh i'm not sure why the movie bothered including halloran i mean i I guess it's just to get that like semi explanation of what danny's whole situation is with like being like i guess that's the reason that they kept him in the movie in the book before Halloran leaves he tells Danny that if anything goes wrong to give him a shout like to try to like psychically yell yeah um and try to get help 
So that's what Danny does. And I guess book. that could have been what he did. Yeah, in the make, movie. maybe that's what it's about. To me, but I they read leave it. out the whole. They like they leave out Halloran yeah. telling him to do that. Yeah. So if that is what it's supposed to be, it's not clear. Yeah, because to me in the movie, it read like they both had a vision of what, like of 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 Jack breaking at the same time. Like they both yeah. realized that things were going bad. Not that Danny was calling him. Like that wasn't yeah. what I read. But I, I guess it technically could have been. It could have been, yeah. but. Uh, but anyway, so in the book, Halloran knows for sure that there's definitely something very wrong going on because Danny was calling for him. And there's also a whole lot more that happens as Halloran attempts to approach the hotel. Like, basically, the hotel tries to keep him away. Uh, and then the movie just, like, kills him. Yeah. Uh, Jack does injure Halloran by sneaking up on him. Uh, but he lives and he helps Danny and Wendy escape. I feel like the movie decided to kill him to try to up the stakes a little bit and show that Jack really is capable of, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. cause until this point, we don't know for sure whether or not he's, so I think it, it's, it's just kind of ups the stakes a little bit and makes things more dramatic. I, I guess that's why they would do it. I don't, yeah. I don't know. For me, it was like, a, oh damn, they just killed him. Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. That was all the questions I had. Now it's time for Katie to tell us what she thought was better in the book. You like to read? Oh, yes. I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. All right, strap in. Strapped in. All right, so right off the bat, Ullman, the hotel manager who interviews Jack, so much more interesting in the book. Um, he seemed pretty bland and normal in the movie. In the book, he's, like, slimy and mean-spirited and obsessed with the Overlook. Uh, the movie completely skips over Watson, who's, like, the normal... He does like mention the him. Season. He's there. Yeah, he's yeah. there, but we don't, like, really interact with him. Uh, he's, like, the on-season caretaker, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but Watson is, like, a mean-spirited, like, right-wing conspiracy theorist mm, type in the book. And I liked the... So he'd be really into QAnon if this was set Yes, in he would be totally <laughs> q Yeah, <laughs> totally. Uh, but I, I liked the implication that the Overlook just poisons anyone who's already susceptible to it in yeah. some way. Yeah. Um, the movie goes right on ahead with, uh, oh, they say it's built on an Indian burial ground. Yeah, and which that is, they murdered some Indians who tried to, like, stop them from building yeah. it or something. I don't remember. Which yeah. is, it's not an element in the book, and it's racist and tired. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's unnecessary. Like, it yeah, doesn't, it's doesn't not, add, it doesn't it add anything. It literally adds nothing to the movie. Yeah. Yeah. In the book, the way that Halloran tests um, if Danny has The Shining um, is by thinking that his friends call him Dick, which is his first name. Um, so, like, he thinks that, and then Danny, like, says it out loud, like, refers to him by his first yeah. name. So he knows that Danny can, like, hear thoughts. I will say, uh, just going back to the Indian burial ground thing, I think I think there could, if you were going to include that, I think you would have. There is a, a a chance to do that and and include it in a way that like critiques and discusses like imperialism and like. Yeah, well, yeah. And there's a way to do but that, it, but it's, it's not like in one, this movie. No, no, no. I, I, I mean, I agree. I'm just saying. I think there is a way to, but like this movie's just like, nah. It's like a throwaway line that literally yeah. doesn't ever come back or mean anything. It's just like, okay, great. Sorry. Yeah. I also thought Halloran in general was better in the book. 
I felt like it seemed like he cared about Danny more and was like genuinely worried for him. Oh, really? I felt that way in the movie. Did I really you? like him in the movie. I mean, he was fine in the I think movie. He was nom- I think it was uh, Scatman Crothers. I think yeah. he was nominated for an Oscar, I think, for this performance or something like that. I could be wrong about that, but... I really like him, and I, I, mean, and I felt like he seems very concerned, and like he wants to help. Like, maybe it was maybe it's just more that we spend like more time with him and like yeah. in his head in the book. I don't know. That's fair. I but I, I also like I said I don't I don't really get why the movie bothered with his character. No, it's like, explained just, the yeah. Shining and stuff, and I think he had to be in it. He plays a pretty pivotal role. I mean, he does get murdered, but up until he gets murdered, he's relatively important character anyways um so the hedge maze uh where did we say this was filmed uh, some, in of, studio. some other no they got the outside oh timberline i don't know if that hedge maze so is there but maze. timberline hotel or something yeah, so Oregon. like maybe they already had a hedge maze i don't know yeah um but there's no hedge maze in the book uh there are hedge animals that move when you aren't looking at them which is really creepy. That is very creepy. I find that very creepy. Uh, some of the stuff near the end of the book where they're like, the hedge animals like literally come to life and they're like attacking people, I think mm. could have ended looking up, ended up looking really hokey. Yeah. But I think, but I think about how creepy hedge animals that like subtly change position every time we see them could have been. Now I'm a little bit biased because I already think hedge animals are really scary. Yeah. But I think that could have been really creepy. I like the maze a lot. I think it's really creepy. I think it. Um, I think the end of the movie is a really effective ending. I don't disagree that the animals, you know, yeah, that whole if they're like the 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 weeping angels from yeah from uh, Doctor Who. I, I think it could have been really effective and, and cool. But I do like the hedge maze a lot. Um, and speaking of the things that of them changing while you're not looking and stuff, I. I didn't notice it watching the movie this time, but there has been a lot of um, di- sort of dissection of the movie that the, the hotel itself, if you keep track of while you're watching the movie of where certain rooms are, like the kitchen and stuff in relation to other rooms mm-hmm. that over the course of the movie, as people go from room to room, that actually changes. Hmm. And that has to do with like the way they because they all shot it on a sound set or like on studios and stuff that they somehow reor like supposedly. I think I remember reading this or seeing a documentary or something about this, that they intentionally made the interior of the hotel not consistent Mm -hmm. as a as a way to like. And that kind of reminds me what you're saying with like the things moving while you're not looking, that kind of thing. There is a scene early in the book where Jack clears a wasp nest out of the roof I mean, he like he kills all the wasps. He uses like a chemical whatever thing. Um, So he's just got like this big, like gnarly looking empty wasps nest. So he gives it to Danny like like, this is like a cool thing. Little boy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the wasps like come back to life. Um, So it's that's like really kind of how the book kicks off this idea of like what is real and what is not. Because it's like sure maybe there were still some wasps in there but he's so sure that he got them all yeah like where did the wasps come from yeah and there's this old-fashioned fire extinguisher in the book it's kind of a recurring symbol for danny it's like this old-fashioned like hose thing that's up on one of that's up on the second floor near room 217 so it's like this old-fashioned like hose that's wound up on the wall 
like a hose would yeah, be. Yeah, 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 like a fire hose. Yeah. Uh, and Danny's afraid of it because he thinks it looks like a snake. Mm. Um, and then there's one point where Danny is alone near it and it falls partly off the wall, like unprompted. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he has to go past it. And as he's like walking away from it, he imagines it chasing after him or maybe it actually does Ooh. chase after him. Yeah. Jack becomes totally obsessed with the overlook in the book. Uh, He spends hours and hours digging through, like, all this paperwork in the basement, and there's, like, this old scrapbook that he finds that, like, details all of the sordid, like, murderous events that have happened in Mm -hmm. the hotel's history, and it becomes, like, this huge obsession. He wants to know more and more about it, and he's, like, constantly digging through these papers, like, I'm going to find it, I'm going to find it, but we never really know what it is. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that could have been cool. Overall, and this is this is a fault of the format. Not a fault, but a necessity of the format. At least to some extent, yeah. The movie skips over a lot of the book's exploration of trauma. In the book, we get way more backstory for both Jack and Wendy. Uh, in addition to what happened at Jack's previous job and Danny's more grievous injury, There's also much more about just how bad of a drunk Jack was, Mm -hmm. and it got really, really bad. And we know also how serious his anger issues are. We also know that Jack and Wendy are both from dysfunctional homes. Jack's father beat the entire family, and at least one specific time that we know of injured his mother badly enough to put her in the hospital. Uh, Part of the root of Jack's hatred towards Wendy is that she reminds him of how his mother tolerated Mm. his father's abuse. It's also implied that Wendy's father may have been sexually abusive and that Wendy's mother blamed her for it. So this family is really the perfect storm of unconfronted trauma. Yeah. And it just manifests within this hotel. Yeah. Speaking of how it manifests, uh, there's one point where Jack has a nightmare about his father and hears his father's voice coming through the CB radio telling him to kill Wendy. And he smashes the CB radio and then wakes up to see that he's actually Mm. smashed it, Mm -hmm. which is how the radio goes out in the book. He doesn't take the batteries out of it. Yeah. I don't think they're batteries, but yeah. (laughs) I think they're transistors. Or what, what are, well, I don't know. I, know. I don't know how CV radios work. <laughs> I know. He took something out of it. I yeah. was like, cool, batteries. Yeah. Gotcha. I, I believe it was like transistors Transistors, or batteries. What's the difference? I could be wrong. I, I don't think it was batteries, but I because I'm pretty sure. It, it's a thing that makes the radio work. Yeah. Yes. So I liked the movie's take on having the dead woman look normal at first and then you see in the mirror that she's actually a rotting corpse yeah like i liked that i think that's interesting however i'm a really big fan of what you don't see is what's really scary like i'm a big fan of that approach yeah and in the book jack does not see the dead woman in room 217 slash 237 he goes to investigate And there's nothing in the room. Then he realizes while he's in the bathroom that there are linens out that should have been put away at the end of the season and that he can smell soap. And he's like, well, that's weird, but whatever. So he turns to leave. But as he's going 
towards the door of the hotel room, he hears the shower curtain, goes back to the bathroom, and he looks, and now it's been drawn shut. He left it open, now it's shut. And he thinks maybe, maybe it's a trick of the light, but maybe he can see, like, a shape behind the shower curtain. So he's closing the door to the room, goes to leave, he's closing the door, and he thinks as he's closing the door to this hotel room that he hears this wet thump like somebody getting out of the tub. Mm -hmm. So it's this, it's a really creepy scene of just like, is there something there or is there not something there? I think that definitely works arguably way better. That scene would work, works way better in a written format. Like if you were reading what the movie scene was, I don't think that would be particularly creepy. Mm-mm. You know what I mean? And yeah. it was just like, and then he, and then uh, a hand pulls back the curtain and this beautiful woman steps out of the dress. And then as he spun her around kissing her and he looks, glances over her shoulder, like even if it was written really well, I don't know how creepy it would be. What you just described sounds incredibly creepy and effective because it reminds you of every sort of, um, situation you know that you can think of in your own house where you think you're like was that what did i hear you know like yeah. said the, the ambiguity of it and that sort of thing lets your mind run wild and go crazy i do think the movies change maybe makes more sense for a movie i would like to see this way play out in a movie to see how it does because i think mm-hmm. you could get a similar effect i think both scenes can work in the movie i think only one of those scenes works in the book in in yeah, terms of being creepy, sure. yeah. in, th- in terms of being creepy, I think the movie scene could work in the book in terms of uh, as, as its own sort of thing and like kind of thematically. But I don't know how creepy it would be. But I do think that um, either scene could work in the movie. Only one of those works in the book. And I, yeah, and I think in a movie you have the benefit of the visual and you can do something like a jump scare, a, a jump scare having a jump having scare. a beautiful woman get out of the bath, blah blah blah. I think that they could have done something really effective with the shower curtain and then gone on to do the scene more like it is in the movie. They do. We get the initial, from my memory, we do get an initial shot of just a vague outline of something behind a shower curtain. Yeah. And like, you're not sure, you're not sure what it is. I, I think it's not maybe as effective as what is described in the book. Um, but I think they go for that a little bit. At least from my memory, I don't remember exactly how it plays out. We now we we originally were going to record this the day after we watched it. It's now been it's now four it's days, been a three couple days. days. <laughs> so it, it's, some of those finer details have left my memory a little bit. But I do remember there being like that outline of some like a, a, a vague shadow behind the shower curtain at first before yeah. she kind of comes out. So I think they were kind of trying to allude to that at least a little bit. But yeah, the way you described it from the book sounds that sounds much creepier to me. Mm-hmm. than what's in the movie but i also don't know it would have been tougher to make work in the movie potentially than sort of the scene we get so there is a giant glittering party in the book like we see in the movie but in the book it is a masquerade that makes more sense so there are costumed people which explains the dog man yeah in the movie it's just like a roaring 20s yeah it's the party i assume from the picture yeah, I would the assume the so. Is, yeah, it's just like a roaring 20s, like they're all dressed like flappers and stuff, mm-hmm. you know. There is also a scene in the book where the elevator starts running in the middle of the night while they're all asleep. And uh, this is after several other things have happened. So Wendy is pretty unnerved by this. Mm-hmm. And Jack's like, it's just a breaker or whatever. I'll yeah. go 
I'll go fix it. And Wendy's like, no, we're all going. Yeah. I'm not staying here alone. So the whole family goes to investigate. Uh, and when Jack, like, cuts the breaker and makes the elevator stop, they look inside and there's confetti and a masquerade mask mm. in the elevator. Ominous. Also, back to that dog man. <laughs> there's a scene fairly late in the book where Danny knows that Jack is downstairs. This is kind of like the calm before the storm, so mm -hmm. to speak, um, when everything's building up to a head. But Danny knows that Jack is downstairs and is thinking about the bad thing, which is what Danny calls drinking. Yeah. And he knows that Jack is in danger from the forces at the hotel. So Danny leaves the room to try and find his dad, but the hotel sends the dog man to stop him. And it is creepy as fuck <laughs> it's i'm gonna just hang on okay i'm gonna read a small section he threw the covers back and swung his feet out onto the floor he kicked his slippers out from under the bed and put them on he went to the door and pulled it open and hurried up to the main corridor his slippered feet whispering on the nap of the carpet runner he turned the corner there was a man on all fours halfway down the corridor between him and the stairs Danny froze. The man looked up at him. His eyes were tiny and red. He was dressed in some sort of silvery, spangled costume. A dog costume, Danny realized. Protruding from the rump of this strange creation was a long and floppy tail with a puff at the end. A zipper ran up the back of the neck costume to the neck. To the left of him was a dog or wolf's head, blank eye sockets above the muzzle, the mouth open in a meaningless snarl that showed the rug's black and blue pattern between the fangs that appeared to be paper mache. The man's mouth and chin and cheeks were smeared with blood. Ugh. He began to growl at Danny. He was grinning, but the growl was real. It was deep in his throat, a chilling, primitive sound. Then he began to bark. His teeth were also stained red. He began to crawl towards Danny, dragging his boneless tail behind him. Yeah, that's, that's, that's... It's really scary. That's creepy. Don't like that. Don't like that at all. Wendy gets way more weapons in the book. In the movie, she has the baseball bat, and then later she has the knife. Mm -hmm. uh, in the book, she carries the knife around with her for a long time, but she also has the wine bottle that she uses to knock Jack out, and she also uses razor blades to slice him up when he's trying to get into the bathroom. Oh, jeez. Yeah, she just uses the knife at that point. But, yeah. yeah. Well, she uses the knife in the book, but she actually uses it to stab him in the back. Ooh. So. There you go. More weapons for Wendy. <laughs> Imagine it with, like, clapping emojis between each word. More weapons for um, okay, so let's talk about the end of the book versus the end of the movie. Um, I don't have, like, super strong feelings on the differences. Either way, Jack dies and Danny and Wendy get away. So what happens at the end of the book? Well, we talked a little bit about the end of the movie. They, there's the chase through the hedge maze, and Danny gets away, and him and Wendy get in the snowcat and drive off, and then we find out later that Jack froze to death. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the book, the hotel explodes oh. at the end of the book because it forgets to have Jack dump off the boiler. So something that the movie dropped was the importance of the boiler. It's a recurring symbol yeah. throughout the book, this like throbbing pent up heart of yeah. the Overlook Hotel. Um, 
and in it in its mad quest to obtain Danny and his powers, the hotel is its own undoing. See, you say that that's interesting. That's not of the 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 hotel's mad quest to obtain Danny. It's not something I get from the movie. No, not at all. No, which yeah, it's a different story they're telling there. That's interesting though. Um, and my last note here, I liked the more obvious supernatural evil in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Overlook is a liminal space, which is something that interests me. Um, it's all times are the same time. Um, personally, I just find that interesting. Yeah. Uh, I think the movie's more ambiguous take could have been equally interesting to me, but again, I felt like they kind of half-assed it in the end by like suddenly having Wendy see a bunch of random spooky stuff. Yeah. And the skeletons, the cobwebby skeletons, yeah, were not, really like there was like cheap Halloween decor. And going back to that, I do want to say that I think it could have been interesting because I think we talked. I talked about um, Danny seeing things and how that sort of maybe kind of ruins the idea that this is all Jack's projection. But the fact that Danny is psychic maybe actually does make that mm-hmm. work still as an ambiguous thing. Is that maybe Danny is seeing, is seeing Jack's, Jack's projections. projections yeah. Cause he is psychic versus Wendy. You know, when yeah. we have no implication that Wendy's psychic. Um, and now the, the little girls doesn't really make a lot of sense. Cause that, I don't know how that ties in with Danny versus like the bartender and stuff and other people maybe makes more sense, but the, I don't know if the girls make a lot of sense, but I could at least argue that I could see that, you know, him being psychic, he's actually feeling his, mm-hmm. his dad's sort of turmoil and sensing that and seeing and that that's the stuff he's seeing. And yeah, I think it does when Wendy sees it makes it a little less yeah a- ambiguous. It's like nope, actually just which I think it still works in its own way. It's just not what I would have done. All right, let's go ahead and talk about what was better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. So I like the tidal wave of gushing blood from the elevator. It's one of the iconic images mm-hmm. from this movie. In the book, there is a wall in the presidential suite that like seeps blood because yeah. someone was murdered there right. once upon a time. Um, but I, th- I think the, the tidal wave of gushing blood is a good visual. Yeah. I don't know if it's like a necessarily a better or worse. Nah. Uh, but I do applaud the movie's choice to do something with creepy murdered girls. yeah like they're mentioned in the book but they never appear like king just kind of drops that yeah so um and then having jack echo the girls forever and ever Mm -hmm. and ever i thought was a good touch on the part of the movie i also like all work and no play makes jack a dull boy Mm -hmm. i thought the part where he smashes the bathroom door down was pretty good. Uh, I thought his per- performance overall was good. Yeah. Um, I think in some senses he's just like being Jack Nicholson. Yeah. But. And there are moments. It's fun to watch. It is fun to watch. There are also moments like at the bar and stuff where it feels maybe it's maybe it's one of those instances where be, this type of thing has been done so many times since then. Yeah. That it feels a little like cliche like a little trite or mm-hmm. something like where he's doing the like like the over the top like talking to himself and like yeah emo- like it, it feels like we're it it feels a little bit like you're watching a bad 
drama student doing a, a, a monologue, but mm-hmm. maybe it's because you've seen enough bad students do Jack Nicholson monologues that it yeah. it has ruined it to some yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, so there was that a little bit where there's times where he's he's doing his whole thing where it, it feels a little like. And the other thing about having the retrospective is that it almost also feels like we're watching him audition to be the Joker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I guess this is just like yeah, like the grinning and like the big gestures and because and he does feel a little bit like it's funny he does feel a little bit like um uh oh god um I wanted it's not Heath Ledger's Joker um there's a character that. Is it from a Batman? I'm 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 blanking on. It. There's some character that this performance feels like from a movie later on. Um, a lot of them, honestly, and I think that is what kind of it's one of those things. Like, it's like when you watch The Matrix now and you like see the bullet time and stuff. Mm-hmm. You're like, meh. He's kind of like, Meh. I mean, like, or you could see somebody doing that. And I think it's same kind of the same thing with Jack Nicholson's performance in this versus. Again, we've seen enough bad versions of it in other things that it just it maybe doesn't land quite the same way anymore it's still very compelling mm-hmm. and very good and if you can divorce yourself from sort of the years of of worse versions of it later it does uh it does help but yeah yeah so there were exactly four things that i knew about this movie going in and none of them were in the book so there you go there's that the girls the the girls the hallway, the hallway blood, blood. Uh, all work and no play and here's johnny those were the four things that i knew about this movie and not a single one of those things was in the book there you go i thought having danny cover his tracks by going backwards in the snow was a nice yeah that was touch um all right so the end of the movie so we see jack in the picture and the read that i got from that moment was that the hotel has survived on to infect others and Jack has now just become part of the hotel's ongoing liminal space. I think it's a perfectly valid which reading. Which was bolstered by the idea from the book that when people die in the Overlook, they become like puppets of like the evil entity that controls the overlook which i think is implied in the movie too with like yeah. grady yeah and yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. That. yeah so that was the read that i got yeah. on it and then apparently there's another read on it that's like he's like a lost soul that belongs at the hotel returning to the hotel yeah. which is not the read that i got it's intentionally ambiguous to let you kind of do whatever you want with it like that's the point i think your read makes maybe the most sense and is the least sort of uh i i like my read and if my read is accurate then i enjoy that change yeah i think it makes the most sense i think it requires the least like leaps mm-hmm. in like sort of Inter- internal holes. logic yeah, internal in logic the, yeah. i think it makes the most sense with what from what we know in the movie and especially with what we know from the book mm-hmm. i think that definitely um since in the book it sounds like the hotel is a a is a described and and reads as a as sort of animate like motivated force yeah, of nature it's of some its own kind, yeah, kind it's of some thing. kind of evil force that's like it's like a collector right and that's why it wants danny because he has all of this like supernatural yeah. power 
already. So it's like, who the things I could do. So that, and and so we don't really get that in the movie. Like right. they don't really, at least it doesn't read exactly like that. Um, but if you know that from the book, I think that that's a perfect, like the movie's ending makes perfect sense in that sort mm-hmm. of regard. And I, lots of people have read it different ways, but I think, I, I think yours makes the most sense. And I think I like that version the most. So there you go. Let's go ahead and talk about a few things that the movie nailed. As I expected, practically perfect in every way. Uh, the family does drive a yellow VW Bug. We see that in the beginning of the movie. Yep. Uh, Halloran does ask Wendy if she's a Winnie or a Freddy. Because yeah, right. her name's Winifred. Yeah. And she says, I'm a Wendy. And he's like, that's better than either of them. <laughs> And then Halloran just knowing that they call Danny Doc and like realizing that Danny has the shine or the shining. Yeah. Um, which was funny in the book because in that scene, Halloran calls Danny Doc and so had Jack and Wendy prior to that. And I was like, I was reading it and I actually stopped right after Halloran called them Doc and I made a note in my notes and I was like, did Doc used to be like some kind of weird derivative of Danny and I just yeah. don't know about it? Or was it like something that people used to just call little boys and it's like fallen out of fashion? What's happening here? And then I literally read like the next couple of paragraphs and I was like, oh, Halloran's just psychic and he knows. Great. Okay. Yep. Cool. Um, Danny feeling drawn to and compelled by the room with the dead woman in it is an element in both the book and the movie. Uh, the specifics are different from the book to the movie, but I did think that the movie really captured Jack's seething misogyny towards Wendy whenever his yeah, veneer breaks. For sure. Because that is definitely an element in the book. Yeah. Uh, Danny appearing with strangle marks all over his neck and Wendy immediately blaming Jack Mm -hmm. because who else would you blame? Exactly. Jack meeting Grady at the party where he's now working as a waiter, but also kind of seems like a butler. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's a waiter. But he's dressed like a butler. But he's dressed like any, he talks like a, like a stereotypical butler character. I think that was more, that, 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 that's like, because it's like, He's from the twenties, right? And it's like a waiters back then basically behaved the same as butlers and like dresses. I right. at, at least at like fancy like fancy you know, hotels, fancy hotels and that sort of thing. Uh, the judicious use of racial slurs, yep. something that the not not judicious. What's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. The whatever the opposite of judicious is, because judicious means like reserved. Right. Um. <laughs> Whatever the opposite of that is. Yeah. Book does it. Movie does it. There you go. Uh, Wendy locking Jack in the pantry. And also the little detail where she's like panicking, trying to undo the lock and then realizes that like the pin is just still in it. Yeah. Uh, and Grady egging Jack on and then letting him out of the pantry. This is a scene straight from the book. All right. We've got a few odds and ends. And then we're getting to the final verdict. So I remembered uh, the opening of this movie, the the the, the synth 
music at the beginning, but we both remarked about the the opening and and it's very iconic opening music. But I didn't remember the like weird ghostly wailing over the opening theme, and it I feel like it sort of takes away from how creepy the opening song is. It like I don't know. It felt a little. Eh. I don't know. The sound design in this movie, like, there were moments that I liked, but overall it kind of drove me insane. I think they, I had a note about this. I think they use music a little too much. And yeah. maybe that's a, the time period thing. Mm-hmm. I think the movie could have got away with a lot less score. I think this, the music is really effective sometimes, but I think they just use it a little too often. Yeah. In my opinion. I think you could get away with just less of a score. Yeah. And I think in a modern film it would have less when we first meet wendy in this movie she's reading the catcher in the rye (laughs) and i was like oh that's very subtle stanley thank you for that subtle chef's kiss that's a that's a uh uh, that's a classic pretentious film dork uh thing catcher in the rye is just a classic pretentious male thing right but i mean putting somebody reading a relevant yeah book in your movie is a very pretentious i don't even know if very pretentious is the right word but a very common pretentious film uh, like i'm i'm a director thing like it, look at me thing, being a director like, that's interesting about that is that yes it is a classic like pretentious i'm a director i'm an auteur yes. thing but it's also a classic hallmark of the teen genre. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, we talked about it in Twilight. Yeah. Um, she's reading a... She's where you're reading, the the character's reading the, the relevant book, book. That book that is the story that is happening, yeah. Catcher yeah. in the Rye. Dying of Fire. Uh, so you, I, I actually really love the sound design other than the score in this. One of the moments that I thought was really well done is that during the discussion with the doctor, um, it's this very awkward, tense discussion where you can tell that Wendy is dancing around and excusing all this behavior mm-hmm. from Jack. And during this scene, and I, I'm sure it's intentional. Uh, Stanley Kubrick is not new at this at this point. Um, uh, this isn't like a mistake of like a, a young f- filmmaker or something that uh, the room tone the background noise, you know, the hiss of the background noise, yeah. which is called room tone in this scene is cranked way high. Like you can hear it way higher than you normally would during any other scene. Uh, and I think it's intentional and I think it, it adds to the sort of awkward, um, to make us uncomfortable. It makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and I think it's very well handled in that moment. And there's lots of little details of the sound design like that. I talked about it earlier with the big wheel and there are other elements throughout the movie that I think are really effective sound design mm-hmm. apart from, I think that it's just overly scored, but yeah. uh, I really like the sound design in this movie. I don't actually have a lot of notes here. Cause we already talked about, we did talk about a, a lot, lot of, of this, this already. Um, one thing that I did notice is that I was like, geez, how many cigarettes would these people have had to take with them? To be snowed oh, that's in true, yeah. all winter because Wendy is like almost always Constantly. smoking a cigarette. I mean, it's, it's the se- it's the late seventies, early eighties. Yeah. Everybody's always smoking. Yeah, which and like girls under stress. Like I get it, um, but like how many how many cartons? Yeah. do you think? Oh boy, <laughs> just it's like, like all their so luggage many is just c- right. It's just cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I think there was an interesting dichotomy in this movie is that to me, it feels like a main message of this movie, at least early on. And I think it's not completely sort of undercut by the end uh, of the movie uh, is that this movie is very much a discussion and a, a an exploration of abusive relationships and how they can kind of hide in plain sight. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the uh, the very obvious on the nose discussion between Wendy and the doctor um, setting up Jack's sort of abusive past. And that and, and, and to me, on this viewing of the movie, Jack is absolutely and obviously the antagonist of the movie Mm -hmm. like he's the villain of the movie i mean the hotel to some extent but like wendy's the protagonist and he's the antagonist and i thought that was really interesting uh but there's also this interesting dichotomy of what we talked about in the prequel of so you're 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 making this movie exploring the the uh and discussing abusive relationships and how they can hide in plain sight and you're doing that by abusing the female lead in your movie to get her into the headspace of an abused spouse and it there's some grand irony there that is i it's something else and i i yeah i thought that was very interesting when it's very clear that the message of the movie is sort of anti like like mm-hmm. you know not I, I, obviously anti-abuse but like uh, you know it's sort of just very sort of subtly discusses some of the nuances of abusive relationships and it's like but but bro but bro you 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 <laughs> like you know i just thought that was, was very very interesting i only have one note left so i don't know okay. if you want to yeah, go like... ahead that's fine I'll, I'll i only have a couple more okay uh so i mentioned that the book has a more obvious supernatural element yeah. throughout than the movie does but I want to bring up the most unrealistic, obviously imaginary and made up thing that happened in the entire book was that Jack got paid $900 for a short story. <laughs> Jeez, 900 What are we even talking in about? The 70s. Yeah. What are we even talking about? I feel like Stephen King was like, like he didn't understand that he's an outlier. Yeah. Yeah, because especially because in this moment, Jack isn't like a renowned writer. No. Like he's trying to become a writer. Like it's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Most of them don't even pay you. Yeah. 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 No. Yeah. I, I hear you. <laughs> um, speaking of the abuse, there's the moment uh, where uh, Wendy and it, again, it's, it's sort of throughout the film, but there's the moment where Wendy tells uh, uh, Danny wants to go get his fire truck or something mm-hmm. from the bedroom while Jack is sleeping, and Wendy literally tells him to tiptoe yeah. <laughs> around Jack, and you know it's like this again, not subtle uh, sort of um, messaging about about the nature of their relationship and that sort of thing. Uh, speaking again of the sound design, there's the moment I love the shot of the the camera pulling back from the typewriter with mm-hmm. the blank pages and the lit cigarette <laughs> burning in the ashtray. And the whole time you just hear the tennis ball yeah. <laughs> banging against the wall. Oh my God. All I could think about during that scene was like, what if you broke a window? He's throwing it not near a window, but yes. Or like something. <laughs> that would be bad. There's a lot of breakable things yeah. in a hotel. What if you broke something? You can't pay for that. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't fix it. Yeah. And you now have an open window yeah. during the middle of the winter. What are you going to do? It was a tennis ball. It would be, be hard-pressed to break a window. But 
Uh, and, uh, we see Danny in the Apollo 11 sweater. And I was like, ah, yes, this, this sweater that spawned a thousand conspiracy theories. Great. Fantastic. Uh, such a, uh, don't watch that documentary. It's fucking, it'll, it'll infuriate you. And so I mentioned it earlier, but I wanted to get back to it a little bit. I, this is my last note here. I actually, upon rewatching this, didn't find Wendy's portrayal in the movie as misogynistic as I remembered it or as that it had been discussed by Stephen King and others. Um, And I think it's, here's my hot take. I think it's arguably, arguably misogynistic to call it misogynistic. Maybe. Here's my, here's, here, I'm going to get into it a little bit. She, throughout the entire film, is a very self-possessed woman mm-hmm. who has agency and is doing her absolute best to sa- uh, save herself and Danny in this situation that she is not remotely prepared to handle. Yeah. She is screams and flails and is upset and crying, but she's being chased around a hotel by her husband with an ax and the idea that she should somehow handle this in a way other than how she does to me feels arguably maybe misogynistic. I like the <laughs> idea that be, to me, it feels weird. Her reaction in this movie. Well, again, it's a little one note and, and I can see fight here, but here's the thing. I could think of the, the fact that you find her, her screaming and running about and her, her flailing, uh, like grating or 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 obnoxious is in there's some inherent misogyny potentially in oh, that yeah because it to me it's like what what do you expect if what i you, like the, what do you want her to do i would do that yeah what do you expect her to do in this situation and again she's not a pushover she she immediately defends danny yeah. like on first drop she doesn't she, we see her uh, in the beginning sort of you know excusing Jack's behavior and but but in that moment Jack is trying to be better like he is yeah. you know he has given up drinking and he is being trying to be a better person and, and 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 as far as we know has been better for a while and so in that moment yes it is sort of a classic like uh, abuse victim sort of uh, coping and dealing and that type of thing but Later on, she immediately kind of goes into action mode relative, you know, like she doesn't like become she's not a pushover mm-hmm. in the end of the movie or in the second half of the movie. She's doing whatever she can to save herself and her kid. Like, I don't I don't know. I found it not really must like, I don't know. I didn't find yeah. it as problematic as I think people I can I, see I on first glance getting I, that. But. I don't yeah. know. I think it is wrapped up in misogyny the same way that it is for a lot of female characters behaving just, you know, realistically. Yeah. Um, And I think there is, too, that thing that people have a tendency to do. Um, a lot of men have a tendency to do when they take in works of fiction is to be like, Oh well, I would have right. done that differently. I yeah. would have. Blah, 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 blah. I would have. If I was in Game of Thrones, I would have been Jon right. Snow. No, you wouldn't. Right. Shut the fuck yeah. up. Yeah. No. Everybody. Yeah. Exactly. It's like when you watch uh, Walking Dead. Everybody thinks they yeah. be Rick, but no. No, you, you wouldn't. You would not. Shut the fuck up. You would be what's the mulleted dude. <laughs> like, I don't wanna, it's been so long since I watched that show. But yeah. 
No, I agree. I, 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 and I feel the same way about like when I watch Walking Dead. Like I would, I would be dead already. Like I, would, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be one of the. Yeah, I, I would have taken myself I, out. I would have been already, like, cheers. I would have already been. Dead. I don't want to live in this world. But yeah, I, I found. Again, I, I thought it's like, I don't know how I would possibly deal with a situation where I'm trapped in a in a remote location. Yeah, and the person not, I love and have not, spent my yeah. life with seems to mentally like just completely snap and is trying to murder me. I don't think I would be able to handle that in a way other than running around screaming. Like I don't know yeah. what I, you know. I mean, and, and I'm a even, very reserved, like chill person, but I don't know how I would handle that. <laughs> like it's so weird to me, like that people would project that onto her and be like expecting a different. Yeah, just expecting a different reaction yeah. from her, which. And her her reaction is not like like you said, like, yes, yeah, she screams and she cries and she runs around. Yeah. But she also beans him over the head yeah, with, a him with a baseball bat. She hits him with a baseball bat and she slices and, his like, hand up. She... And you don't even know, like, unless you've been in that situation, yeah. like, you can stand there and be like, oh, well, I would I would hit him in the face with the baseball bat and i would just beat him yeah. until i knew he wasn't gonna get up and yeah, blah 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 you off. don't know you, you don't no know idea. that you would do that no. you do not know if you would even have the wherewithal to hit him once yeah i have zero i have zero patience for any of that fucking macho shit regardless of gender of who's saying it of just oh i would do that you know and then a fucking like um fantasizing about violent uh horrible situations and how you would react you never nobody fucking knows unless you've been in those yeah. situations or are trained to be in those situations and even if you're trained you have to have trained and have been in those situations then maybe you know how you would react like those people yeah. might know you know like like navy seals who do it like every weekend or whatever they might know how they would react but other than that like a normal person who's not Wait, in those situations, Joe, nobody sitting on his couch watching yeah. the shining does not nah, know nah. how he would react i don't care if situation. you take if you go take uh, gracie jujitsu classes once a week you, you don't know how you're gonna handle that situation and again i think the situation she's in is even farther removed from like anything you can oh, be, yeah like, like there's a even wild, a comparable situation there's a wild difference between like somebody breaks into your home are you gonna go after them with a baseball bat right. versus the person that you love who's the father of your child yeah and you're trapped in a place where you can't, literally can't do anything else and yeah and it's and again it's your spouse it's the person you love who you've been with for years who, who seems to be a completely different person and it like that's a whole situation yeah. i don't even can't even comprehend like critiquing anybody's reaction in yeah, that and, and you don't know what's wrong with them and you, you know, if, if you hurt them you're not going to be able to get yeah. the medical help yeah there's so many factors i literally that I feel like are not being considered i literally can't imagine a reaction that makes more sense than her reaction which is sobbing upset but still defending yourself as yeah. best you can. It's literally the only reaction that makes sense. And I don't find it misogynistic. I could be wrong, but like I, I that was one of those things like on this watching, I was like, no, that, yep. That all makes sense to me. I mean, it sucks. Again, we talked about in the prequel about how that performance was, you know, came about, but mm -hmm, to me, mm -hmm. it makes perfect sense and is a very compelling and incredibly good performance. And it's wild to me to think otherwise, but it, whatever that's i think we've talked about it enough at this point all right let's go ahead and talk about it it's time for the final verdict now uh, are you ready for your sentence sentence but there must be a verdict first sentence first 
verdict afterward. I really, really enjoyed this book. It's essentially a gothic horror novel in the vein of something evil lurks in the big mansion on the hill. Yeah. This book was scary. It scared me. I had nightmares while reading this book. Nightmares, plural. There were several <laughs> nights over the past couple of weeks where I like woke myself up yeah. and strongly considered waking you up <laughs> because I had had nightmares from reading this book. Uh, there's a lot to be said about the filmmaking and the performances in the movie. Uh, some very good, some very bad. Uh, certainly it's a well-crafted piece of art. That said, I didn't find this movie scary. And now maybe that's because all of the creepiest bits were spoiled for me by yeah. pop culture. Yeah. Or maybe it's because I read the book first. Yeah. Who knows? I will argue, too, that I think it's less scary than it is sort of just kind of unsettling unsettling yeah. like is kind of more of what it is it's more of like a thrillery like unsettling mm -hmm. movie versus like a scary quote-unquote movie but yeah i think it also doesn't help that a lot of it was spoiled i found the book's world to be incredibly rich i really liked the deep dive into everyone's backstory including the hotel um, and a, the the way that all of that allowed the supernatural horror to also be about personal horror and familial horror and relationship horror. I get what the movie is doing by hedging back on the overt the hotel is possessed by an evil entity angle. I get it. But like I said, I do think the movie tried to have its cake and eat it too in the end. And to me, it ended up feeling kind of half-assed. Like if you're going to be ambiguous about whether or not there's actually something supernatural happening, then just do it. Yeah. Like just do it. The book isn't perfect. Uh, it's dated in some ways. Um, as I mentioned, there are some racial slurs. Um it is kind of like weirdly horny on Maine. Um, there's some misogynistic bits. Uh, but overall, I'm going to give it to the book this time because I think the world of the book is better crafted than the world of the movie. And yes, because I did find it scarier. You're more than welcome to disagree on that count. But for me, all I can ask is that the horror media I choose to take in scares me. There you go. All right. That is it for our very spooky 2020 Halloween special. Before we get to what our next thing is going to be, if you could do us a giant favor, head to patreon.com slash this film is lit. Support us for two, five, 15 bucks a month. Uh, you get different things at each level. At the highest level, you get priority recommendation status, which is very exciting. Uh, in fact, what our next, our next book our next uh, movie is going to be a patron request, which you'll find out here very shortly what that's going to be. But you get that at the $15 level. You get other stuff at the lower levels. Anything you can support us at, we greatly appreciate. If you can't support us, head over to iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to us. Give us a five-star review uh, leave it, or rating and leave us a, uh, a written review. Uh, it helps get us, uh, you know, recommended more, that sort of thing in the algorithm. All that kind of good stuff is all great and helpful. If you can't monetarily support us, which we understand and don't mind, uh, you can also follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads. We do uh, polls after each one of the books and movies. 
where you can uh, you know leave your comments. You can vote on what you preferred. You can also even if you don't if you know if you haven't read or haven't seen both of you know if you haven't done both, that's fine. You can still vote. But more importantly, we like uh, if you if you leave us a comment, tell us which one you preferred, why you preferred it, what you liked about the movie, what you liked about the book. Because um, we read all of those comments in our prequel episodes in between main episodes. So go ahead and do that on all of our social media, and we'd really appreciate it. Katie, what's next? Up next, we have an Academy Award patron request from our patron, Gray Hightower. And we will be talking about fried green tomatoes. Oh, I think I read that in when I was younger. <laughs> I've never read the book. I actually didn't know it was a book until uh, this patron really? messaged me. I've seen the movie. I don't think I've seen the movie. I think I read the book in like middle school or high school or really? something. Yeah. Hmm. It's a pretty famous book from my memory, but I could be Is wrong. It? I thought so. <laughs> I might have done both. I might have in high school in a class. I might have read and watched it. We might have done like a, oh. I think we might have done like a comparison type thing. Cause that was pretty common, you know, with yeah. some of the, yeah, yeah, do that yeah. every now and then where you like Romeo and Juliet or something, but. I think we might have read and watched it. I can't remember. It's been a long time. But uh, that cool. That'll be fun. That'll be exciting. Uh, and until that time, uh, in one week's time, we'll have a prequel episode. And until that time, guys, gals, non-binary, and everybody else, have a very happy Halloween. Stay safe. Stay inside. Um, you know, don't go to parties. That's a bad idea right now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, stay safe and have a, as happy a Halloween as you can have during a pandemic. <laughs> We were supposed to be getting married tomorrow. Yay! <laughs> As you're, if you're listening to this on Halloween, or no, we were supposed to be getting yeah, married we were supposed, today. today. This was supposed to be our wedding day. Uh, if you're listening to this on Halloween, originally this was supposed to be our wedding day. Now our wedding day is literally two years from now. Uh-huh. Fun, fun. <laughs> uh, but until next week, like I said, have a happy Halloween and uh, keep reading books, keep watching movies, and keep, keep being it. awesome. 